we would ask from you is that you would fill out the guest registration card located in the front pew rack. There's a place on there if you have a prayer request, we'd love to pray for you. If you'd like to receive our newsletter, you can indicate that on the card. Later on in the service, when we take our offering, you can just drop that in. That can be your offering this morning. So we had a great week this week. We took a team to Miami, Ohio University. Um, had a great time there, kind of doing move-in day and a lot of great stuff going on. And then also this week, we launched our new kind of organized service project, local mission trip here in Manchester called Serve Coffee County. We, we launched that. We launched the website for it, servecoffeecounty.com. And had a great response, a lot of people registering, and we still need more. you got a couple more weeks, and you can keep going up until the date of the service project. So be sure to register for that. Go to servecoffeecounty.com to be a part of that. A lot of great things going on. A lot of great ways that you can be involved in God's mission here in our community. So as we uh, prepare our hearts to worship, let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, Lord, as we come before you. Lord, it might have been a busy week for some, and Lord, we might even be stepping into something that uh, might be busy or bring some anxious thoughts or anxiety our way. God, right now, we come together as the people of God. We come together as your people to lift high your name, to declare how great you are. Father, I pray that this hour, this time together, Lord, that we would center our lives on you. God, that you would refresh us, renew us, point us back to your power and strength within. And God, would you send us out as we worship you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You stand with us and let's sing together. Celebrate Open, come and see. He's alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah, alive. Praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah. Alive Let my heart sing out. Let my heart sing out. Christ, the one and only. Love of all and Oh, death won't hurt me now Because he has redeemed me From my King I'm alive, alive, alive Hallelujah, alive Praise and glory to the Lamb Alive, alive, alive Hallelujah, alive Sing that again. I'm alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah. Alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Oh, I'm alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah. Alive. Here we go. Sing it with me. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy of our praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, 
Worthy of our praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the my again. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy, here we go. Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the praise, worthy is the one who has overcome the grave. Let the people dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty King. Worthy is worthy, worthy, yeah. Worthy be the dance, let the people sing. Worthy is the mighty. He's alive, alive, alive. Hallelujah, alive. Glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. He's alive, 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 hallelujah, alive, praise and glory to the Lamb. Alive, 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 hallelujah, alive forever, amen. He's alive forever. Forever amen. Ooh, are you woken up now? That's a, that's a tongue twister this early in the morning, isn't it? All right, here we go. Lion in the Lamb. One more time. Sing it with us. Here we go. He's coming on the clouds. King and kingdoms will bow down. And every chain will break. Broken hearts declare his praise. But who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb. The Lamb that was slain For the sin of the world His blood breaks the chains And every knee will bow before Him And every knee will bow before Him So open up the gates, make way before the King of Kings. The God who comes to save is here to set the captives free. But who can stop the Lord Almighty? Our God is the Lion, the Lion 
men of Judah is roaring with power and fighting a battle. Every knee will bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. For the sin of the world, his blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. Every knee will bow before Him. Every knee shall bow before the King of Kings. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Sing it. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? No one. Who can stop the Lord? Sing it over the battle. Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord? There is no one but you, Lord. Who can stop the Lord? bow before him. Our God is the Lamb, the Lamb that was slain. His blood breaks the world, His blood breaks the chains. And every knee will bow before the Lion and the Lamb. And every knee will bow before Him. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Oh, God, you are mighty, higher than any other. Sing it with us. Water you turned into wine. Open the eyes of the blind. There's no one like you. None like you. Into the darkness you shine Out of the ashes we rise There's no one like you None like you Our God is greater Our God is greater Our God is stronger God, you are higher than any Out of the ashes we rise, there's no one like you, none like you. 
Lord, you are above all things. You are mighty in power and wisdom and strength. Lord, we come before you this morning calling on, on behalf of our country, on behalf of our church, on behalf of our community. Hear, our, hear us from heaven, Lord. Heal our land.
life into these dry and thirsty souls. Sing that to Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive our land. As we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to dwell? Open our blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven, touch our generation. We are your people crying out in desperation. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive our sin. As we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to bear? Open our blind eyes, unlock the Generation, we go. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Oh, Lord, if there has ever been a time when we needed your restoration, when we needed your healing, when we needed to hear from you, when you need to hear from our voices, oh, Lord, it is now. We are in need of you. Hear our voices. Lord, I pray that as we worship you today, that we have put a smile on your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen to that prayer. It's good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here today. I want to take just a moment to look ahead to tonight at 6 o'clock. We're showing a movie, The Case for Christ. I want to encourage you to come and to be here. I think you'll, you'll really be blessed by it. Invite a friend to come. It's a story of Lee Strobel and his journey from atheism to faith in Christ. And um, it's a treasure, tr- set in 1980s, it's a treasure trove of 80s trivia. If you've ever Listen to Kansas. You need to come. If you've ever driven a Z28, you need to come. If you've ever eaten freaky cereal for breakfast, you need to come. If you're young, bring an old person with you, and they'll help explain some of those things to you. But I share that because it's really an illustration of what I'm going to preach about this morning. Because in the the movie, uh, Leslie Strobel, who is an atheist who comes to faith in Christ, and uh, Lee Strobel, her husband opposes that he's angry at that and he sets out to disprove Christianity to get his old wife back and in the process becomes convinced of its truth today I'm sharing with you that if you follow Christ you'll have some opposition in your life it may even come from your family like it did with Leslie Strobel it'll certainly come increasingly from our culture So maybe you're a a family member that uh, you're the only one serving Christ. You need to come to this movie tonight. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. I'm sharing a series of sermons entitled, What Does God Want Me to Do With My Life? It comes from the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah found God's mission, God's purpose, God's work for his life, and you can too. The first answer to that question, what does God want me to do with my life, is that God has a work for you to do. He's got a mission for you. And when you find his assignments, it'll fill your life with with purpose. And so Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the Persian king, and he found that the walls of his native city of Jerusalem were broken down. He felt the burden of God on his heart to do something about that. He journeyed back home to Jerusalem and leading the effort to rebuild the walls of 
Jerusalem, preserving the people of God that will eventually give us the Messiah. We come to Nehemiah chapter 4, and in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry. So Sanballat was the governor of Samaria, the territory just north of Jerusalem, and he becomes angry. You're going to have opposition when you seek to follow Christ or do his work. And that's what I want you to hear today. Maybe you're a new believer and you've uh, started out following Christ and you've hit some opposition and you're tempted to be discouraged. And, and, and I want you to understand, don't be surprised by that. And we're going to look at some re- ways that you can, can deal with that opposition. The first type of opposition, as it is here, will come from the world, from the outside, from the world. And Sanballat is angry. Why is he angry? Well, he's angry because his self-interests are threatened. He's the, the governor just north of there, and he doesn't want to lose power. But there's a deeper reason for that. There, he's angry because of the spiritual forces of evil are against the work of God. You see, in your life, there's a battle going on. There's some deeper reason for opposition that you'll have from the world. That is that uh, there's forces of evil that don't want you to follow Christ and serve God. And it'll work through people. And it did with, with Sanballat. He heard we were building the wall. He became angry. And the opposition that we experience will come in two forms. First of all, it comes as ridicule. It says in, in chapter 4, verse 1, he became angry and was greatly incensed and he ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, so publicly in front of gathering of the army, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Christian Standard Version translates it pathetic. What are those pathetic Jews doing? He's ridiculing them. Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Uh, that probably means, are they going to try to pray this up? Are they going to, hoping that their little religious rituals are going to build this wall for them? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? And Tobiah, who's the governor to the east, and his sidekick, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, uh, so you got a villain and his sidekick. Can you think of any? I, I can't think of a good. I got Boss Hog and Roscoe P. Coltrane. I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a modern villain. Gru and the Minions. I don't know. Some, but here's this little sidekick. So he joins in on, on that. And he says, yeah, what they're building, even a fox climbing on it would break down the wall of stone. So the sidekick joins in to ridicule. So the first kind of opposition that you're going to expect if you seek to to live for Christ that you need to be aware of from outside in the world, you're going to experience ridicule. That's increasingly so. In 2012, atheists had what they called a rally for reason on the National Mall in Washington. 20 to 30,000 atheists joined. And uh, Richard Dawkins, a prominent atheist, spoke to that assembly. Let me read you a quote he said about how to relate to believers, to Christians. Mock them, 
ridicule them in public with contempt. So the strategy of what's called new atheism is that it's far more aggressive. And Dawkins is saying what we need to do is take it to these Christians, mock them, ridicule them in public and with contempt. That started a debate among atheists on the web about whether to use ridicule or not. Was that counterproductive or not? I want to read to you from, a, from an article on an atheist website that I read this week called The Case for Using Ridicule in Arguments with Believers. There are those in the free thought movement who say atheists should not use ridicule as a tool against religious beliefs. It's offensive to believers and makes more enemies than friends. However, I've always said that ridiculous beliefs are by definition worthy of ridicule. And so he goes on. And so there's a debate among atheists. Should we ridicule believers? And, the, and what sort of carrying the, the, the day is, yeah, it, it's got some disadvantages, but it's more advantageous to ridicule believers. And he goes on in this article to give an example. He says, for example, one such use of ridicule is when we point out biblical marriage is not one man and one woman, as usually stated by Christians. And so he gives an example of how to ridicule believers about their beliefs about marriage. And in saying that in the example uh, that in the Bible there, are, there is polygamy and there's other forms. And of course the response to that is, yes, there are sinful people in the Bible that don't follow God's will. But the original plan in Genesis is God said that he gave us gender as a sovereign gift. And that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. But I'm sharing this with you to say... Just understand, what happened here is so relevant. Just as Sanballat ridiculed these Jews, we're going to experience ridicule increasingly in our culture. How do we respond to that? Not with ridiculing back. In our national debate, haven't we sunk to such a low of name-calling and, and anger? And listen, we're going to have to be different as Christians. We follow a different king. Yes, people are going to ridicule us, and you're going to encounter that more and more, but we've got to show them the respect of Christ and the love of Christ. So in this national debate where politically and, and in every other way, the tenor of conversation has just become so rude and crass and so hurtful to individuals, even people that we greatly disagree with. We're not to be like Sanballat and Tobiah. We've got to be different. So what does Nehemiah do? Does he ridicule back and say, yeah, I, I know you are, but what am I? You know, what, is, what does Nehemiah say to this stuff here? You know what he does? He prays. We see prayer all through Nehemiah. Look at verse 4. Here's, here's those Roman candle prayers. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. He throws up that prayer to God. So he doesn't take vengeance. He leaves vengeance to God. When, when you're attacked, trust God to defend you. Turn their insults back on their heads. This is a four-shot Roman candle. There are four short sentences here. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they've thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now the question comes, should we pray like Nehemiah prayed? Because he prayed, first of all, for God to help us, for we're despised. But he went farther than that to say, Lord, hold them to account. Don't let them get by with this. Didn't Jesus go farther and teach us to pray to forgive our enemies? So some would say, well, this is an Old Testament prayer. This is outdated now. We've moved beyond this. Here's what I believe. I believe that we are to, that both the, the prayer of Nehemiah asking God to take vengeance and the prayer of Jesus asking 
For those who crucified him on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Are consistent prayers. Because God equally cares for justice and mercy. And yes, we are to, to, to pray what we've learned even more from Jesus. That when we're attacked, we're to pray, Father, forgive them. I used to be like that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But God is a God of justice. And if those who crucified Jesus did not repent and turn to him, they're going to receive God's, God's vengeance. So when, when I pray for North Korea, I pray, God, get rid of that madman, you know? But at the same time, God, you could forgive, you could change. You, I'm a sinner and you've forgiven me. You could change anyone. I think the prayers for justice and vengeance in the hands of God and mercy upon those individuals out of ignorance are compatible. God's a God of both justice and mercy. So it says in verse 6, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. So ridicule didn't work. The first strategy that the world threw at them didn't work, and so now they ratcheted up a little bit, and the second type of opposition that we may experience from the world is threat of attack. Threat of attack. Verse 7, when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. First they were angry, now they're very angry. And these groups almost form a circle around Jerusalem. Sanballat, as we said, governor to the north. Uh, Tobiah, governor to the east. Then we've got um, the Arabs, which would be in what's now the Sinai Peninsula. And now we've added another one, Ashdod, that's to the southwest, what's today the Gaza Strip. Still the enemies of Israel are in about the same position. So, so north, east, south, and southwest, all of this alliance of evil, they're all coming together and they're going to threaten to come with armies and attack. Verse 8, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Thankfully, we've not yet come to, in our nation to the point of outward opposition that comes to attack. There may be the threat of attack, but there are many believers in our world who are living under this kind of scenario. The, the hardest place to be a Christian today is in North Korea. And North Korea used to be a center of Christianity, but now under this oppressive regime, we just don't know. We just don't hear. We're not sure how many Christians are left there because of that oppression? We pray for those believers in North Korea and in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places where it is difficult to be a believer. What did, what did uh, Nehemiah do in response to this threat of attack? Well, it says in verse 9, We prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet their threat. I love what Nehemiah does here. Here's a combination of prayer and practical action. Those two go together in the mind of Nehemiah. Our response to problems in our lives ought to be prayer and practical action. There's no conflict between the two. Have you known people who do one without the other, even believers? Have you known believers who in the problems of their lives just never pray? Maybe you're like that. Maybe you claim to be a follower of Christ, but in your day-to-day -day life, you just never, you, you don't think about the Lord. 
and you're trying to, to solve your problems on your own, and you're going through life without a daily dependence upon God, and do you see how prayer is interwoven into the daily life of Nehemiah, the building of this wall? He's a man of prayer. But on the other hand, have you knew, known people who thought they were a little too spiritual to do anything, and oh, I'm just trusting God, and I'm not doing anything about it? I knew a guy like that. One time I went to seminary, and uh, uh, there was a, a guy in our, the church that I went to on a Sunday night shared his testimony, and he said, I, I don't have any money, and I came here, and I said, God, if, if I'm going to get in this seminary, you're going to have to provide the way. And he said, and he's sharing his testimony in our church the following Sunday night, and he said, I walked up to the registration table and gave them my name, and I said, is my tuition paid? And they said, uh, what? I said, is my tuition paid? And they said, well, no. All right, then, God didn't mean for me to come here. And he said, I turned around and walked up. The pastor in that testimony service said to him, did you ever think maybe God wanted you to get a job and pay for your tuition? You see, there's some of it. There, you see, I'm saying these two go together, and you can get off into extreme either way. You know, if, if you don't have a job, why don't you pray to God? And why don't you fill out some job application? If you're having trouble with your finances, then I encourage you to pray to the God who provides. And why don't you try to cut your spending a little bit as well? And if you've got a sick kid, don't you want to go get the very best medical condition, medical treatment there is? And don't you want to pray to the God Almighty who can help prayer and practical action go together? There's no contradiction between the two. It's not unspiritual to do something God's given you the ability to do, but you also rely upon him. He said, we prayed and we posted a guard. I love that. Now, we've talked so far in the Christian life about opposition from without, opposition in the world. Don't want you to be discouraged by that. It, it's, it's because there's a spiritual battle. It's just par for the course. So you're going to have some opposition. You've got to decide, am I going to stand for Christ? Am I going to serve him? Am I going to be true to him? But now we come to a second kind of opposition, which is perhaps harder to deal with, and that is opposition from within the community of believers, opposition from within the faith, within the church. Look at verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there's so much rubble we cannot rebuild the wall. They're discouraged. They're whining. They're saying, Nehemiah, this is never going to happen. Whenever you try to do something of God, there's going to be somebody in the church telling you that you can't do it. Trust me on that, okay? There's always going to be people who don't have enough faith who say, you can't be done, can't be done. There's too much rubble. And by the way, here's the thing about rebuilding, why rebuilding is harder than building. You know why rebuilding is harder than building? Because there's rubble in the way. And maybe you're in a blended family and you're trying to serve Christ and it's tough because you got baggage. It's rubble in the way. And maybe you're trying to make a fresh start for Christ, and it's tough because you got all of this baggage and there's rubble in the way. So, so it's tougher when you rebuild than when you build. But don't give up. They rebuilt. You can rebuild. They said, you can't clear out the rubble. Well, they did. They used the rubble and rebuilt with the rubble. You rebuild with the rubble. 
You can rebuild. They did. It's tougher, but you can make a fresh start. You need a fresh start today, and you've messed up a lot. You got a lot of rubble in your life. You can still start over. Still make a fresh start. They did it. But this, but this opposition was coming from within. And, it's, and, and, and don't you think Nehemiah must have just said, I'm going home to Persia. It's better to threaten, get poisoned by drinking the king's wine than to be doing this. Don't you think he must have just felt that way? Listen, it's, it's going to be tough for you, and especially if you're a newer believer. Let me say this to you. Here's what will often happen. You get saved and baptized, and that's the greatest feeling in the world because all the sins of your past are forgiven, and you're going to heaven, not hell, and you've got a fresh start in life, and you come to church, and people are so nice, and they're kind, and you think everybody else has arrived, and you're just down here, you know, and boy, you enjoy it. And then what happens? I've seen it over and over in you believers. Then somebody at church says something rude to you, or hurts your feelings, or does something that's less than Christ-like to you or to one of your kids and you are disillusioned and you think, oh, they're all a bunch of hypocrites and you think, oh, if this is the way it is, I'm not going to go to church anymore and you know what the devil accomplishes in your life, what outer opposition and ridicule and attack never could and you have let the devil by his subtle means, discourage you and keep you from serving Christ. And I see that happen over and over again of people who make a good start and then they're disillusioned by people in the church who say something or do something that hurts them. Let me explain to you why there are people in the church that sometimes are rude or hurt you or lessen Christ-like. There are two reasons. Number one, first of all, Satan deliberately sows into the kingdom, oversows the kingdom with false believers. You can read it in Matthew 13. Jesus told a parable. He said that the Son of God came sowing the seed, and then the enemy came at night and oversowed it. He's an, he's an imitator. And so he said, that then the wheat came up and the weeds came up and they were mingled together. And so the first reason is that Satan is deliberately sowing false disciples to try to discourage you. But there's a second reason. Not everybody that hurts your feelings or disappoints you in the church is a false believer. Some of them are sinners just like you. We're not, we haven't arrived yet. We're all in process. You're in process, right? And they're in process too. And that doesn't excuse wrong behavior, but it says we're all a bunch of sinners trying to follow Christ. Yes, we let sinners into our church. I want to tell you something. That's how you got in. <laughs> That's why we let you in. And so we're sinful. We haven't arrived yet. Opposition comes from within. They said, 
the strength of labors is given out. There's so much rubble, we can't rebuild the wall. And also, verse 11, our enemies, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them. We'll kill them and put an end to the work. And verse 12, then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over. Don't you love people telling you over and over the problems of how this can't be done? Told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they'll attack us. 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 I won't say it ten times, but you get the idea. Okay, Nehemiah must be saying, okay. And all of these from without, from within, the problems and the opposition. What does Nehemiah do? It says in verse 13, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and spears and bows. So the building stops for a night. In the immediate threat of this attack, that this alliance of these four neighboring um, cities and kingdoms they're saying it's coming so they stop the building they put everybody on the half-finished wall with spears and swords families are there fighting together throughout the night they stand watch it says in verse 14 after I looked things over I stood up and said to the nobles the officials and the rest of the people and Nehemiah gives one of the great speeches here he this is one of those one of those hero speeches I went to see the movie Dunkirk, good movie, about uh, how in World War II uh, the British troops forced to the beach of France at Dunkirk, not enough British boats to get them off the beach and across the English Channel comes fishermen and small boats and they, they evacuate 300,000 of those British troops across the English Channel to England, May 26, 1940. A week or two later, June 4th, 1940, Churchill stands to give his speech and many wanted him to, to give uh, terms of surrender, terms of peace. And he gave that great speech and said, we will fight on the beaches, we will fight on the landing strips, we will fight in the fields, we will fight in the streets, we will never surrender. This is one of those speeches like that. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. I want you to underline in your Bible, fight for your families right there. Underline that phrase in your Bible because I'm going to show you another one parallel to it in just a moment. He encourages them to fight. In verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all return to the wall, each to his own work. So the immediate crisis is over. The enemies back down from their offensive, and they go back to work. But now the work is different. It says, verse 16, from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. So if you were carrying stones, you carried a bucket in one hand and a spear in another. And he says, uh, and each of the builders wore his sword as a side. So a builder's got to have both hands to, to lay stones, but he's got a sword strapped to his side as he works. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we're widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Would you underline that phrase in your Bible? Our God will fight for us. Do you see these two phrases side by side? Nehemiah told the people to fight. 
And he said God would fight for them. It goes together. Listen, as you face opposition, and you will, and you serve Christ, because there is a spiritual battle as real as the battle against Nehemiah in that day. And as you face opposition, you fight, and you know that the Lord will fight for you. The two go together. Maybe you're dealing with some temptation in your life right now, and you're struggling, and you're trying to live for Christ, but, but there's some temptation that's, that's strong. You fight, and when you fight, God will fight for you. The two go together. Maybe you're battling depression and discouragement, and you've got some tough things going on in the circumstances of your life right now. You're in a spiritual battle. You fight. And our God will fight with you. The two go together. Maybe this is a tough time for you. It was a tough time for Nehemiah. But when you fight, our God will fight with you. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, thank you for the wonderful calling you've given us to follow you. We see that there will be opposition both from without and from within. Help us not to fall to Satan's tactics, whether outright and obvious or subtle and from within. And Lord, I want to pray right now for some folks who may be battling sin, battling discouragement, trying to overcome something that has offended them. Oh, Lord, may we fight. And we believe, Lord, that when we are following you, you will fight for us. I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. Maybe today that you're battling something, you need to battle it with prayer, as Nehemiah did. If you want somebody to pray with you, come forward during this time. This is a time for a, a decision counselor will be glad to pray with you. Maybe today uh, you're ready to follow Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. I want you to understand it won't always be easy, but it'll always be the best life. And so today, if you want to say, I believe in Christ, I want to follow him, be baptized in his name, repent of my sin, put my faith in him, would you walk forward as we sing, meet me or another pastor here? If you need a church home, we'd welcome you to join this church family, be a part of this company. You don't want to fight battles alone. You want to be a part of an army. We'd be glad to be your company. So if God's speaking to you, would you come as we sing? Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. As we call on your name, would you make this a place for your glory to dwell? Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, 
Come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven. Touch our generation. We are your people crying out in desperation. Lord, hear our cry. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty souls. Lord, hear our prayer. Forgive us sins. And as we call on your name, generation we are your people crying out in desperation thank you would you be seated as we worship God now by giving our offerings to God to say thank you God for the food we eat the things we wear thank you even more for Jesus and his spiritual blessings we give back to you for the advancement of your kingdom message, and that if we trust in you, Lord, we will always win the fight. As we come to the time of service to bring our offerings, Lord, help us to realize what a blessing it is to give to you. In your blessed name we pray. Thank you. 
We just want to highlight a few things there in your worship guide. We've got many things, several that are taking place today. Again, reminder that the movie starts tonight at 6 o'clock. But prior to that, if you're interested in trying out for the Christmas musical, they're having a auditions for the actors today at 4 to 6 how are p.m. You? I'm doing great, thanks. Hey, guys, how are y'all? Dr. Cox oh, is still Dr. on. Dr. Cox's mic is on. There we go. Glad they didn't go to the bathroom. I, I thought we were... I thought we were hearing a word from the Lord about the musical, yeah, I thought. Man, Todd, this is going to be awesome. Watch, I didn't even move my lips. I, I know. So if you want to be a part of that, <laughs> just telling you, come tonight to try out for a part, or you can come tomorrow from 6 to 7 p.m. And also the worship choir, uh, in conjunction with that, is, is going to be having their Christmas in August uh, this Wednesday night. So those two things are, are uh, going on this week. And for student discipleship, we are still going to have discipleship tonight. You're not going to miss out on the movie. We will watch the movie when we're done with this first, uh, with the New Testament survey. So 
with those few things, if you are a first-time guest, we'd love for you to get to meet Dr. Cox. I promise you your conversation won't be played live in here. It's, uh, he's already been shut off now. And so if you exit the sanctuary and head down to your left, you'll see him there and his wife there at the welcome desk. Let me close in prayer. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you, God, that you challenge us to keep moving forward even when times get tough, even when we feel ridiculed, even when we feel like uh, we can't go on any longer. God, you tell us to fight. And so we just, uh, with that, say thank you. We pray, God, that you help us in, in our walk, in our daily faith with you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One, two, three.